0: Hello, this is Daniel Vale. Please listen to my latest Daniel Vale's views of 83 Weeks and Counting, where I restart the purpose of this podcast and I explain myself. Plus, I start talking about the first head-to-head episode on the pay-per-view that happened after this. Thank you, and goodbye. Hello. This is Daniel Veyon. I've been podcasting for almost two years, and I just about a month ago, found out how to submit, um, uh, manually submit my feed to Apple Podcasts. Well, anybody's getting into podcasting and wants Apple Podcasts, their show on Apple Podcasts, come here and use Anchor Podcast. Hello. This is Daniel Vail. Welcome to Daniel Vail's Use of 83 Weeks and Counting. I looked at the beginning episodes on here, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't remember, um, the Raw versus Nitra episodes I did. Um, more importantly, I fell off of the reason for the, for that topic. So, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start from the beginning. And, um, I'm sorry to everybody that followed, listens to this because some of y'all may not want to, may not want to listen to it again, but I really think it's important. To talk about the ratings. So that's why I have to start from the beginning. Okay. The first ever Monday Nitro. Did not have. A raw episode to compete against. So the rating. Really. Does not matter. In this scenario. However what I can say is that there are there isn't an easy way um of talking about this about as far as the ratings go. And by the way, There was a DVD about the Monday Night Wars that I want to start talking about, but for but what right now what I want to do is talk about the first about the first episode because uh, Wikipedia has a um has an entire write up about this where they talk about. The ratings. So let's see. Here it is. Um, like I said before, I believe in order to know the importance of, uh, the, of the ratings. You should look back at the, um, not just what happened on the shows, you have to look back at the ratings themselves. Um, and I do remember talking about this, but I can't really remember. do is do what I do what I always do when I um I do these episodes and I'll just uh I'll just look at the matches and the shows and I'll I'll say what the ratings were ratings results were and then say what I believe what I believe happened uh Raw Nitro. The first ever head-to-head show, Nitro lost by a one rating because it's 2.4 up against 2.5 in the end result. So, this, this might take um, longer talk about both shows than I had anticipated, but, that's why I'm doing this, because I feel like, I feel like I made a mistake, and the only way I can figure to make it better, is to look, is to look back at it, okay, uh, It was November, September 11th. The first ever Roller vs. Nitro. September fourth was the first ever one. It had to go to September eleventh. Um So what I can tell you is that first match on uh Monday Nitro in the second episode Debu versus Alex Ryden. My my opinion, that's one of the, that was one of the best matches because they're off the show with. Um, so I'm gonna conti- I'm gonna get this on the continue watching section so they don't have to restart it. I'm sorry, it's September 11th or 10th I had to look at. I say that because the date they gave on the website not the same as the date they gave on, um, on, on the network app. Okay, I was right. Okay, forgive me, I was right. So you just back just go to go uh, to 1995 all the way yeah. okay September 11th while that happened, Razor a Moment against the British Bulldog. Um so that helped. so that's one it's one reason that uh they could have lost in their it's one reason they could have lost in their ratings. Um some people probably saw Sabu and Alex versus Alex tried and thought, when they were flipping through the channels, probably thought that Ramon versus um, versus British Bulldog was was more interesting and a better match to watch because they were more heavyweight whereas Sabu and. Um, and I've probably could have been seen as light heavyweight. So that's one reason. Um, well, let's see. BK Wall Street went against Sting and... Uh, There could be another, hold on. Okay, Alex Wright had lost to Sabu in the first, in the beginning of Nitro. Then, because Sabu decided to clothesline him through a table, they reversed the decision and disqualified Sabu against Alex Wright. Razor Ramon had the match won, because of the one two three kid trying to help him he gets disqualified there bro- British bulldog that's a high big time reason for them to prefer want one, one um the show over the WWF show over the WCW show then they set up a match between the one two three kid and raise our mom for next week. That's another reason to prefer a night prefer a raw over nitro. Um I believe another reason they preferred uh, WCW I mean WWF was because unlike the second segment setting up a match when Ric Flair spoke and cut a promo on this episode of Monday Nitro, they really, they didn't set up a match, they didn't really settle anything. They just continued building to his match with, uh, Arn Anderson at Fall Bro, which was, like, in six days. So, that's another reason this lost in the ratings to, uh, to Raw. Another reason Raw had a tag team match, probably for the tag team titles. And it was and it was against uh, uh, against the jobber team, so at that point in time um, they pref- they loved tag team wrestling so much in those days. By the way, there weren't tag team champions. They were the former champions. But they were... Um, they were a strong enough team. And popular enough. That was the reason to char- turn the channel right there. And so, when you take a look at, you know... I... I personally don't think age should make that much of a difference, but when you're used to seeing you know the same old people, younger and newer does make a difference. But I, what I'm saying is I don't think fans are really tired of older people. They just wanted they just wanted to see more younger people and newer people. So, I think this all boils down to the fact that, um, they had younger people, that's why, um, within about, say, not even six months, about eight months, or nine months after this, that's why the introduction of the NWO was so big, because everybody they brought were newer and younger. And it started to change the dynamic. You had a few people. You had a few veterans. Join the NWO. But it wasn't overrun by the same people. So it made it feel fresh. And it wasn't. The same old thing. So that's why. That became a bigger draw. To the fans. WCW. Along with the Cruiserweight division. And. And constantly bringing in your tag teams that also helps. so I would really say that this all boils down to having a fresher roster so the smoking guns defeated I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the name of the team Red fruit and the Brooklyn brawler and even though I personally I'm glad I didn't grow up watching this character, at least not not intentionally. This was also around the time and Goldust promos were airing, so because people had never seen anything like that, or if they had, they were wanting to show people that a lot of the fans wanted to see this because they felt like. I felt like, um... P I thought... It was... A man just like a woman. A lot of people... Thought Goldust was homosexual. And unfortunately... For people out there that know it's wrong to be homosexual morally... A lot of people think that... By not allowing it in the mainstream, it's unfair. So that's why... They were all for this. And so I would say it's a case of things they never saw before and fresher and newer people. Is why, is why, is what made the difference Before both raw and nitro. And, um, to look at the other, I mean, I have to look at what else, um, is happening, so, you had, um, I don't know what happened. to the other. So, after the Alex Wright Sabu match, was Sting defending and keeping the S Heavyweight title against, um, IRS. This carrot knew that, not really knew, but that started, I think, in 1995, and it was, uh, it, his name was Wall Street. Beat Wall Street to keep the U.S. title. Then, uh, Scott Norton and Macho Man Randy Savage ended when John Giro Doom doom came out, in as I recall, Earthquake, or. T- as he was called in that show. Um. Shark. Thrown right into. Right into Scott Norton and He fell over him. On where his legs were at. And. Because he couldn't kick out. He loses to the. Uh. To the top rope elbow. drop of the Macho Man. And. And uh. It was really interesting. Was him. Having a problem with Shark. And. He said, forget this, and he walked off. That was really interesting, because you really didn't, you didn't know what to think of Scott Norton. All you knew is he was big, but you did not, knew he was strong-looking, and you knew he had to be tough to act the way he acted. But you did not know what to think of him otherwise. Um... That really made it interesting. Uh, why did they have such a high rating? I'm sure a lot of WWF um, fanatics were wondering why they had such high rating against Raw. I'm sorry, I'm sure at that time they were thinking of that in. Lex Luger, who just joined them, and I recently found out on from Grillin JR, the Grill and JR podcast that what Jim Ross hated about this was he believed the, this killed Sean Gabbard. And it's not that he wasn't a big star, it's that he wrestled the same way this whole time in the WWF, and why would you bring him into WCW? I mean, we know from Eric Bischoff's words why, but why would you do that just to, uh, why would you do that just to keep him, or just to give the fans the, um, the feeling of anything can happen? Why would you waste that on somebody that's not a megastar? Just a, um, just a regular star in the business. And somebody who is very, um, who was, as we found out later in life, was very clumsy in the rain, and all of us he clumsy, there was really nothing that really stood out, um, nothing that stood out about Lex Luger as a talent. And so, I found out that the reason Lex Luger even accepted the deal was because there were a few he never worked with in the WWF that were there, and his first night on the job, he gets he gets the first match he ever had, and, it was, and if it had been in the WWF, it would have been the biggest match he would have ever had against Hulk Hogan. That was that was set up at the end of the first. Nitro, he was a part of and for the heavyweight title. And when he went against Hogan, uh, War Games, um, with the War Games coming up in Six Nights, they needed a partner, Hogan, staying in Macho Man. So the Dungeon of Doom came out and, and interfered. And even though Hogan and Macho Man did not trust Luger, he said, he said, Hogan had agreed to it because he knew he could trust Sting, Sting's judgment that is, so, well, and begrudgingly they said yes, and, or at least, it was begrudgingly for Randy Savage. And, he said that it was, um, he said yes on the condition that he would get, everybody title shot down the line. They said okay. That was the end of, that was the end of Nitro. So, see the rest of Raw. Isaac Yankin next beat Scott Taylor. They had a report on In Your House pay-per-view. Which has been so long since I saw this that I had to press play on that. This wasn't like the first one that I know of. Um, you know it had to be early because this looked like a brand new thing as far as the uh, the preview of the In Your House special report goes. This was the third in your house, like I thought. Um, yeah, I did talk about this before. Um, and for the first time ever, a triple header title match, stacking titles on the line, not only against the heavyweight and intercontinental champions, diesel and Shawn Michaels. Diesel being the heavyweight champion. And Shawn Michaels being the intercontinental champion. But also. Gotta take into account. The intercontinental title is on the line. And the heavyweight title is on the line also. So that was the biggest build up. It was the biggest um, deal about this pay-per-view. That's why it was perfect to put a triple header as the title of In Your House. He said uh, Jim Ross reported on the TV show Action Zone, which was probably in the morning, that there were rumors about Owen Hart and Yokozuna's ability to get along during the match. He said that they actually cause a qualification or count out to reserve their titles. However they were just informed that the interim president, Hall of Famer, WWE Hall of Famer, Guerrilla Monsoon, um, had just added a stipulation that if any of the four competitors in the triple header match intentionally intentionally cause either a disqualification or count out, Guerrilla himself has the authority to award the belts to the winners of the match. Mentioned how before that even happens, the second biggest man or tallest man in that company, Psycho Sid, was going to defend. We've got to challenge Shawn Michaels for that very intercontinental title next week. And also, Ramon will go against Dean Douglas. it started way back in SummerSlam of this year. And I remember when I first saw that, it was on a DVD from Netflix. Uh, and I really I had no idea they even or I knew they faced each other. I didn't know that it was really it started it out as a feud. I thought it was just a regular match. So that's what was really interesting to me about this. Also, Bret Hart goes against Jean-Pierre Lafitte, who was also, um, one half of the Quebecers, I believe, and he's a former, he was a former tag team champion in the WWF, along with, uh, Jacques Rougeau, I believe, or should I say PCO? Yeah, that's what it was. PCO was his active partner. I think. Anyway, that's who it used to be. And he He became a pirate, and the whole thing started off where he stole. I think he may have first stolen a. Uh, anyway, yeah, he stole Bret Hart's jacket. Then he had recently stolen a pair of sunglasses. From a fan at ringside. And then they said another fantastic match that was added was Bam Bigel- Bam Bigelow against Raiders Bulldog. happening on this episode. He said Shawn Michaels kept that title. Then they had an In Your House pay-per-view. Then they had a they had an interview between Shawn Michaels and Diesel. With uh, Doc Hendricks doing the interviewing. reading the uh, closed captioning and he was bringing up uh, the facts of the match and he said and he said uh, let's say if one of them pins what a go hypothetical situation what do you think would happen or how do you feel about that He said he, was in the, Shawn Michaels said he was in the process of writing all the wrongs in his life, like reuniting with Diesel. And he said regaining the Intercontinental title is another wrong in his life. After losing to Rez Ramon over a year before this at WrestleMania 10, no finally putting Psycho Sid said down to keep his title. The next the time for us going to bigger and better things he and Diesel. He said, they're so used to making history they can't help it, or he can't else it, help it. And Diesel said, we're not only two dudes with attitudes, but we're two chaps with all the straps. They showed a preview for next week with Yokozuna know, and Owen Hart y- Yokozuna and Owen Hart defending their tag team titles against men on a mission King of the Ring winner Mabel and his sir Mo and what I could believe they did was actually show preview like you're watching a regular TV show so at this time a lot of people still believed it was real I know I did. So that's so I couldn't believe they actually showed that. And uh show the replay of not one but two matches from that. Next would be the um, pay-per-view for WCW. I usually talk. Ab- I usually do play-by-play play on these things, but being that I may have, I think I did that before. I'll just talk about it. First thing I remember. Was uh was the, the the sorry first thing I remember is for weeks on a WCW month, Saturday night or the mate or the Sunday night. Uh, Telecast from. WCW. And the reason I think they did those. Shows. Was to just. Promote. The pay-per-views. Because they were all pre-taped. And uh. And. They. They would show. The new matches. That were added like. Um. The not a semi-main event, but it was third, it was second from the main, of, from the War Games match, and it was tag team titles between Harlan Pete and the Stud Stable. And they would talk about that, and they spoke about Flying Brian Pillman uh, against Johnny B. Bad, where the winner would become number one contender for the U.S. title. That was the first match of, of, um, Fall Brawl 95. I don't remember how long the match lasted for. Uh, As a matter of fact, that is something I'm going to press play for. Just to see how many minutes they, uh, they said it was, it was set for This this was named such an important match that uh they brought in they would usually use boxing and boxing announcer Michael Buffer in a main event. This was one of the first times outside of um I'm trying to remember what that was called. Oh yeah. Bash of the Champions. This was one of the first times outside of Clash of the Champions, when they used him to do the ring introductions in the first match, instead of the last. So, you have to wait until they make introductions and they do the old fashioned uh, three bell ring to show the importance of it. Usually you just do it fast to start and then they go, but because doing special introductions like a boxing match they decided just do it three times to get the crowd's attention um 20 minute time limit, that's what it was. After 20 minutes, uh, referee Nick Patrick, I think it's Nick Patrick because he usually is very good at refereeing these matches. The referee went to my Michael Buffer and said, We need to go into sudden death, we need to go into overtime because we need a number one contender. So went like ten minutes longer, I believe, and Johnny B. Bad both went for crossbody, but fortunately for Johnny B. Bad, he was hard enough to hold on to Brian's back, so he held on and he pinned him to win the match and become number one contender for the U.S. Championship. What made it, um, great, or strong, really, is their real-life friendship. Everything they said in the build-up to this was all, even before this night, was all reality-based, which is why it worked. I say it worked to build, it worked in building up the map. So, what he had said was how he mentioned the four horsemen, he didn't even have to say the name, because when he put up the, f- the four fingers and he said the symbol of excellence, you knew what he meant. And he said, then he brought up, the, the, up to this point, he, had be- he believed, he was believed to have been a cousin to the Andersons. And Double was believed to have been a nephew, or brother to, uh, Oli Anderson, so he broke Kayfabe in one second of this promo, where he said, you were, you being an only child, me being adopted, that was real life, and that's really interesting, because Kayfabe was still somewhat alive in these days, and he broke it in one promo, and it's very interesting to look back at it you know, when you look back at it, you kind of wonder, you know, besides making it, besides, making it look as believable as possible, did, uh, did they ever stop to think about, the, uh, the, parts of their, parts of their gimmick, being, uh, being thrown, being thrown out there that it was all pretend aside from being friends which makes things like that I just wonder so, and he ended up by saying that the hardest part about facing And about facing Arn Anderson is that he loves him and I th- and that was really uh, was a lot. I think that's why I think, that, I think that's how you know he's one of the best ever on the microphone. Not just when he's being the nature boy, but just when he has to be serious. Because if it wasn't for this, plus what Arn Anderson said later on, there's no way that would have even gotten them excited. So, the next match, Sergeant Craig Pittman uh, beat Cobra with a, um, he called it the Code Red, and today we call that a, they call it a cross arm breaker. I'm not sure what you used to call it. Uh, maybe an arm bar? Um, what was interesting about this was they sent out a guy who later on became Prince Ikea as a, as a cadet for, uh, for... Starting Craig Pittman to outsmart Coach. Outside of outsmarting him like that, the rest of the match he actually he actually didn't cheat for the rest of the match. That so was really really showed how good he really was because he didn't didn't have to cheat or anything. Well, next, next was really because I didn't know what psychics were in those days. I just knew it was... I just knew that it was unnecessary to call one or to talk to one. Anyway, Gary Spivey was supposed to be like a psychic or something. He spoke to Mr. Wonderful and gave him a a new mirror. And that, that supposedly helped him get his confidence back. See, but he started... They started this, uh, this video where he's throwing his rubber around and he's, then he sat down and I think it was unlacing his boots and he said, I don't even know, I don't know who I am. I don't even know if I'm Mr. Wonderful or not. Then after this happened, he started getting his confidence back. And, uh, next, next, they had a TV title match. Which I think this might have been the start of uh I think this might have been the start of um of the downfall of the, of the TV title. There's nothing wrong with the people in the match, just that the TV title was meant to be on TV only, and the fact that they're showing this on pay-per-view really, that's what I believe started to make the title um I take that back I really can't say what made the TV title lack of significance because even no matter what TV title they no matter if it was TV or pay-per-view, it always seemed like a big deal, especially Especially with Johnny B. Bad when he was holding it. Or Arn Anderson. Or even Steve Armstrong. no not Steve Armstrong. Steve uh S- Steve Austin. So that was Dallas Page they thought needed um needed um to have bodyguard along with his wife, Max Fossil. So, they he came out with both of them. Max Muscle was was, draw, was clotheslined off the top of the rope by Renegade. So, he was on and Renegade's the leg so that Paige could hit the diamond cutter on him. And this was Diamond Dallas Page's first ever title injury. And you can tell, just based on how he wrestled this match, tell how much he had improved. I'm going to be really, really honest about, about this next match, I've never, um, I never quite understood, never really understood what, um, I'm going to try not to be biased about this. Because a lot of people have called this this angle um, bizarre, or like it was the worst thing Sherry could have ever done, and I and I um gotta be honest, I don't see what's bizarre about it, so. I'm going to not try to talk in that in that respect but I'm going to say this regardless of how it comes off to a lot of people who write about wrestling in magazines and Bleacher Report if it wasn't for this angle Colonel Parker would never have come fully to life that's what Colonel, that's what the person portrayed The this gimmick said. He said that by working with Sherry, it brought the character to life. Because before this, he was really having a really, really difficult time. Like, when you look at the first video he ever, first video he ever did as Colonel Parker was interviewing, was interviewing. Not interviewing, but introducing one half of the tagging champions right here at Buckhouse Buck. Now, I don't know when he started teaming up with Dick Slater, but it, like, say, 1992 or 93 was when they brought him in as Colonel Robert Parker the first time, and he actually had to wear a, a suit that made him look like Colonel Sanders, which was the purpose of the character, by the way. And, um, and you could see the way he walked in that suit was not nearly the same as he acted right here. He was self-confident. He was serious. I mean, heck, the suit didn't even take away from uh, from his good looks that my mom had noticed, by the way. anybody out there that does not know who Robert Fuller is um I don't know if this is available on amazon.com but on fye.com they have six different volumes of continental wrestling and that that is uh that is the territory that Colonel Parker booked when he was younger for his brother. Robert Parker's real name is Robert Fuller and his brother's name was Ron Fuller. If you want to know what he looked like when he was younger, go on FYE or Amazon.com and find find Connolla Rustling. I don't care what volume look, what you look for. If you ever see, um, the name Robert Fuller in the contents get that DVD so you can know what he looked like when he was younger you know that is if you've seen what I'm talking about you'll understand so I don't know to this day I don't know whose idea it was to do this it was a good idea for the sake of it being funny um and it it ...did fit... Um, ...and it did fit the way that... ...Colonel Parker likes to do business... ...because it was very clean... ...and it was family... F- ...it was family friendly, which is... ...you always... ...you always, as a booker and wrestler... ...always tried to do that... ...I mean... ...even when he... ...got cut open... Going against actually his cousin Jimmy Golden, who of course is Robert Fo by the way is Bunkhouse Buck right here. Even when he did that he never um even when he cut a promo against what happened with he and uh Buck or to use his real name, Jimmy. Even when he cut a promo against that he didn't use any curse or anything he was very clean so um so because he wants to be family friendly and what he does where has it fit the uh fit the way he does things and I like to I like it myself to this day I just don't know who came up with the idea so that's what I'm curious about um this, to my knowledge, I don't know if anybody, um, maybe y'all can, uh, y'all can, y'all, y'all can let me know in, uh, in the comment section on here. Maybe y'all can, um, let me know if y'all heard of any other love, storylines, and wrestling before this, because this is like the first time they ever showed a uh, man and woman kissing on TV, and uh, that was actually the interesting part of this whole match. Not only did you have two managers before this, one hated, loved one, and one hated the other. Well, now they're both, they're both interested in each other, so, that's what made this interesting, because you didn't know what was going to happen. That's actually, the funny part of it is that you did not know. I mean, back, I'll just give you one example. Uh, a few days before Bash at the Beach, and you can see this on YouTube, I believe. I believe it was WCW Pro and Dick Slater and Bookhouse Book, who were not the champions at the time, Harlem Heat were. They they were going against one, one of the challengers for the tag team titles at Bash at the Beach, uh, Blue Blood. Um, Earl Robert Eaton and Laura Stephen Riegel. And, because Sherry would encourage them in their fighting, and she actually got on the ropes themselves, she got knocked off by accident, and she actually landed, on um, to Colonel Parker. And, we talk about how some people call it bizarre, but I call it funny. This is why. When he noticed it was her, he put her down and he kissed her and when when he stopped she bit him in the ear. Whether you like or dislike that storyline, you have to admit that's pretty funny. <laughs> and um by the way, the people who might wonder how did they get to how did they get to the point where she liked him? Like... Well, at the, on a Saturday night after Bash at the Beach, Harlem Heat lost the, um, acting titles to Buck and Slater. Then they decided that if they could be, if all three of them could be, uh, and the studs table, the, um, the current acting champions at this time buckets later then they would have a rematch though so, right well instead of trying to find a way to pin him, what does she do when she went up Sherry went the top rope to hit a splash because that was her finisher she missed the splash and she got knocked down supposedly when she got up all of a sudden she was in love with him. And that was when it really started getting funny. And she said herself, that was the most fun she had in the storyline. So all of a sudden, she's kissing him everywhere. And it actually made him run away from her, which made it even funnier. So. What was even funnier was the things that Bobby Heenan was saying. Like talking about them getting married it was so it was so funny he actually made Tommy Shivani laugh so I think it took about 15 minutes which is set for 25 minutes um so I do have to uh, grind enough to see how many minutes it took. Oh yeah. Oh I can't say uh how long this took without looking About oh, fourteen minutes. Fourteen minutes there's still um no sixteen minutes. I'm sorry. Took about a minute or two to get both guys to get both teams out there. So took about 14 minutes, and they're still out there. So I guess about 20 minutes, and everything broke down, and uh, and because and the referee was trying to get the two were trying to get the men who were trying to get the two illegal men out of the match. And that was when was when everything broke down, and uh, because and because the referee couldn't see anything, and the two men, were, two illegal men, were already outside of the ring. You had um. Sherry and Parker decided to get in the ring, same ring, and that was something you didn't. That's something you'd never seen before. So, uh, so Tony Schiavone said, I don't know which one want to watch. And then, again, face to face, that's what he knew what they were going to do, and they started to kiss. And, uh, by the way, in the main event, that's the name of the TV show, Telecast. um, about an hour before. They went on the air, not even an hour, I'm sorry, 10 minutes maybe. In order to find out who would face the American Males on Monday Nitro, Nasty Boys went again, no. In order to figure out who would go against the Blue Bloods on Monday Nitro, the American Males went against the Nasty Boys. So, Dick Slater came out and hit one half the Nasty Boys with his boot, And that's how the American Males won. Because of that, they came out and hit, Nancy Weiss came out and hit Dick Slater with his boot to get back at him. And Harlem Heat regained their tag team titles. Because of that. What was interesting was the response of both teams. Nick Parker was pulled away from Cherry by, uh, by Buck, and Sherry had to explain herself to the guys, and she claimed that it was just her psychology and it didn't mean anything, and he was was telling him, he was was asking him what's going on with him, Buck was asking him, and he said, "Oh, let me, he said, may not catch up with you yet, I'm serious about that, about that girl. And then he said, I'm the one who, uh, who runs this. I'll see you get another match. And then he said that there's, he, yeah, there were two feelings he had. The feeling was, it's terrible that his men are no longer the champions, but on the other hand, he was as happy as he'd ever been. So he said he had to, he had to have Sherry. And it was like, how okay, you try to get them another title match when you're interested in there in the champion's uh, manager? That really made it interesting. Then in the next match, I thought tag team title match was good. Um, now of course you know you had to. They had to show been looking across from each other, but what was interesting, I'm talking about Sherry and Parker, that is, but what was interesting is how, up to this, Sherry did act like she was too concerned, but this time, she was actually getting into it instead of, instead of looking like she, um, you know, looking like her mind was on something else, she was actually paying attention, same thing with Parker, He was actually, actually getting into the match saying something but there was one part where he looked across the ring where Sherry was at and he said, it's hard to stay, it's hard to pay attention over here. <laughs> and, um, and right before, going back to that story about the, um, <clears throat> Right before, uh, Six Slater hit, um, I believe it was dry knobs with his boot, Parker had brought Sherry some flowers and broken over him. So, Sherry actually kept some of them, and it was Jerry Sags who broke the flowers over Parker. So, they kept enough of them where you could see it in, in her dress. And when she looked at him, you could see she was looking where the flower pieces were. (laughs) That really made it funny. And it was funny because they almost almost looked like high school students. That's actually who Bobby Heenan compared it to. To high school students. So, it was a great match. And they go back and forth. Um... part that really that I really sticks out to me is how usually when an illegal when the person comes in illegally to pretend like he tagged his partner they usually make a fake tag and they didn't do that in this um, in this case they just just came in and put, put on a half Boston Crab and the referee, but I think once again, it was Nick, yeah, it was Nick Patrick. He didn't even ask, I mean, he asked them, but he, it was like, because they were villains, he had to pretend like he believed them. So, that was, that's the only thing that was different about that, or that I think could have been a little better. Outside of that, it was a great match, and it told... A good story. The only problem was these two were supposed to be hill teams. So why, why did they have the attacking champions portray the hills, but not the challengers? That's a question I. That's a question I have. Okay. Um. Next, Arn Anderson versus Ric Flair. Before that. They showed the video package to set up the match. And Orton Anderson said how hard this match was for him. Because he was... Rick was always like a brother to him. And he never had a brother. And he said he was so nervous. uh, That he considered himself a nervous wreck. And then he said in a DVD interview later on in life. That he... That had so much emotion behind it that he, um. That he threw up in a trash can. And he never did that before. So it shows it was a big deal. An even bigger deal than we may have thought before. Because there was really no story. To go into the match. The fans were not into it. So... Um, because the fans were not into it. Because the fans were not into it. I'm sorry, I had to say that. So I could remind myself what I was thinking. Because the fans were not into it. He, they, uh, might have gone to Brian Pillman. Find Brian Pillman before this match. About becoming a horseman, so he, um, Fran, he was he, Alex Wright, um, Eddie Guerrero, Colonel Parker himself, um, and Big Bubba Rogers were all out there watching it in front, in front, in front row that uh think were. I think that was for regular Pete I think that might have been set up for the uh, for the for the wrestlers that might have wanted to see the see this match up close. So he ran through the guardrail onto the ring apron, starting fussing uh, with Ric Flair, and then he then. He hit Ric Flair close to the eyes. so Ric Flair punched him back. And he kicked Ric Flair in the back of the head where the air was. He got hit with the DDT and lost the match. I think the finish in this scenario, the finish was what saved the match. Instead, it took away from it. Like, in so many matches, like, in so many matches or so many shows... A lot of times today, the last segment takes away from the show or it makes you, or it makes you, um, being upset at the ending of the show altogether. Because it's ridiculous. Well, well, and a lot of times the end of a match does not make sense. So that's why it gets people upset, right? Well, this case. It just looked like it was it was a plan by Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman, so that's why it saved the match. so the next match main event was war games. Hulk Hogan made the zodiac um surrender then he by virtue of that the surrender. Victory they had. He was able. To have. To have. The Taskmaster. in In the ring. For five minutes. And. When he was probably a minute into it. A giant came out. And assaulted him in the ring. Twisted his neck. And that's how the show ended. So. So that's how um that's how War Games ended. Hulk Hogan's neck getting turned by the giant. Alright, thank you, that's it's gonna be the first part for this. Thank you and goodbye.